Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to another episode of The Mental Manager. In today's session, we are joined by Azi Assam, who is an accredited coach focused on helping people and businesses grow through the power of habits. He's got a podcast called Changing Habits, Changing Lives, in which he discusses exactly that on a regular basis. You can find the link to his podcast in our show notes. And today, we're really excited to have the opportunity to pick Azzy's brains. But before we do that, let's check in on our own mental health. And Martin, I'll get started with you. On a scale of one to five, how are you today? Well, hello, both. And um, yeah, as we said, welcome to a new episode of, of The Mental Manager. I am doing super well, both things at, uh, at home and work. What we're doing here is something that I'm very excited about. So let me start right out and say that I'm definitely a five today. And also one of the reasons is because of our guest today. Because what we will talk about is something that that, that I have been very um, fond about the last the last couple of years. It's something that I have read about a lot. So having a guest on today that can help us explore more on this topic is, is something I am very, very excited about. So, but that was me, silly, you, on a scale of one to five. How are you doing? I'm a very tired five. So um, as some of our listeners may know, I've got a, an eight-week-old son at home who doesn't give me lots of sleep. But uh, it's, yeah, it's just wonderful to be reminded, you know, of, of, I guess, what is really that important in life, you know, I guess by serving tiny human being day and night, whether you like it or not. So um, no, and everything else is is great. It's great to have this podcast and uh, to be here with you, all of you today. Um, I'm also habit, as a, you wouldn't know, but habits and the power of habits is something that both Martin, myself and Andrew have explored time and time again. And um, so it's very exciting to actually speak to someone who knows more about the science part behind it. So no, really great to have you on board. And on a scale of one to five, Azzy, how are you today? Well, I'm a six. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> it's always interesting when uh, people talk about scales because it's just, uh, I don't know what your five is and I don't know what Martin's five is and sure. you don't know what my five is. And or, or, and even worse, you won't, you won't we probably won't know what our threes are because it's actually very, very individual. So it's always interesting to sort of listen into discussions when people talk about scales and, and I and I we have our own realities and we have our own you know stuff that we we sort of define and it's not always simple and straightforward to sort of compare your five to my five or my so six. That's a very fair point. <laughs> very true. But maybe to get us started, could you please share a little bit about your background with our listeners and also how you then eventually decided to become a coach full-time and really focus your art on the power and the science behind habits? I mean, my background is uh, very much corporate. Uh, I started life out with uh, tech companies and IT companies like IBM. I spent 12 years with IBM, so it was a long, long time. And, I, and my sort of curiosity was started through some of the training at IBM because IBM had loads of wonderful training, everything from NLP, you know, way, and this is going back quite a few years. We, I did this IBM sales training and their sales training was all about understanding people, not about selling technology, which was, you know, a totally different approach. And I think being in sales, I've always been fascinated why, why the person across the table does what they do. Why, how do they make the decision? And then why did I do things that I 
you know, I do. So there's always in the in, in my sort of background. And then, you know, through my corporate work, I sort of worked, I set up with IBM, BT, Kevin Wireless. Then I worked with a couple of tech companies out of the, U, uh, out of the U.S. I actually worked in Munich for about 18 months. So uh, that was a, a wonderful experience. And I got to meet lots of different cultures as well. And then I also noticed that, you know, how people behave differently in different countries and cultures. And it wasn't all quite the same, but there was some common stuff that was going through. I actually took on a coach myself, God, about 20 years ago now, when coaching was just starting to come to the UK. And that really was what really got me started into trying to understand how to lead teams, because I was a manager at that time rather than just managing people. And one of the biggest uh, differences I saw was uh, I took a team of salespeople who were, you know, good team. They were a good team. In two years, they went from turning in, I think it was about 48 million pounds a year as a, as a small team to doing 150 million in two years. And most of it, I mean, we didn't do anything differently other than working with each other and coaching the team rather than managing you know, the team, telling people what to do. That was was when I really started to sort of, you know, have a closer look at coaching. And it was helping me. I made some uh, great transitions in, in the corporate world. And eventually about seven years ago, I decided, you know, I'm going to go and do this properly and went and learned, did training for a year to learn the methodology because there is a methodology, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that you bring through your own experience. So that's where I am now. And I, you know, with my coaching, I really do focus on the science. The one thing I didn't mention was I also have a family background in psychology. My sister teaches psychology. My son's now an assistant mm-hmm. psychologist. He's doing a clinical psychology, at least that's where his studies are. So there's been a, a lot of psychology kicking around in, in the family as well. Perfect. Thank you very much. So you've just mentioned sort of the, the science behind habits. And Martin, I think you you read a little bit around that when we talked yesterday. Do you want to kick off with that? Yeah. So you have a section that I found very interesting on your page where you say that understanding why you do what you do is the start of your journey of change. Yeah. Can you start by speaking a bit into that? I'm going to link back to what I've just said about my journey because one of the things that I realized when I started doing coaching was what we're trying to change, we talk very superficially about, you know, I'm going to change this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. But I went to a lecture with a neuroscientist, and this is what really sort of, you know, got me into the science of, uh, of habits. And she was talking about what's actually going on inside our brain. And when we're making changes, we're, we are effectively changing our existing habits. And what that is, is neural pathways and connections in the brain at a biological and a neuroscience level that's all it is that you know there's nothing more to it is is we're trying to make the changes to those connections but what's key about it is that to make the change realistic and make it realize you know into something new you physically have to change parts of your brain and when I started to understand this, then I started to realize why certain things never changed, why I had difficulty with other things, why some things were a lot easier for me. And in my coaching, I do spend you know quite a bit of time in working out what are the habits that people are trying to change. So if you understand what you're trying to change, which is your brain, it's those neural connections, 
And it's not even changing. You're actually creating neural connections for the new habits. And we'll probably touch on this uh, again because we talk, I mean, I, my podcast is called Changing Habits, Changing Lives, but actually technically changing habits is not true. That's not accurate. We don't change habits. We create new habits because the old habits, as the neural connections are, very similar to a, to a river or a, or a railway system, the tracks have already been laid. You know, the river has already been cut through the, uh, through the stone and the path has been laid. And the neural pathways are very similar. They've been connected up and that's your habit. It's just a bunch of neurons connected together, which help you do that particular habit really well. And unfortunately, some of the habits we do really well are the ones we don't want, like uh, hitting the snooze button. <laughs> and that's a habit. So true. When, when we spoke earlier, I think when we first spoke, you mentioned something about the kind of the time frame in our lives when our, I guess, our first paths in our brain, our first habits are being created. So for all the parents out there, and I guess for us, up until when can we influence the successful or not so successful future of our offspring? I have to be very careful with this because it depends on which neuroscience person you speak to and listen to and all the studies. But there seems to be a consensus that up until around the age of seven, the neuroplasticity, which, you know, this phrase that a lot of people use now, which is how flexible the brain is in making the connections, the neuroplasticity of children is, is highly flexible. It doesn't mean that from the age of seven, it isn't. It just means by that time, the, the, the child has learned a lot of stuff. You know, for instance, walking is a habit, believe it or not. It's not something we're born with. It's something we learn. And you'll see it with your toddlers, you know, when they're trying to get up and they're trying to balance and all of these hands are going out, the head's wobbling. This is all about learning to walk. And they are kicking in all these neural, uh, neural pathways and and neurons which are saying, oh, I need all of these parts of my body so I can, you know, walk. And up until about the age of around, I mean, I mean, it's not exactly seven. I mean, something could be six, could be six and a half, could be eight. But around the age of seven is when you've actually created the baseline of a lot of the things that the children are now going to go out into the world and develop further. It just means that, uh, you know, from there on, they probably have to work a little bit harder to make changes within their brain. But as we see with children, teenagers, you know, through to uh, if you carry on studying, you continue making changes to your brain. It's just the first seven years are really formative. And so what words you use to children, how you react to children, how you don't react to children, all of that, so the children's taking in, they're learning, they're copying you, they're learning from you. And there was this great thing about uh, languages, learning language, or actually somebody calls it acquiring languages. Languages, the way we teach them, are, you know, are not very, not very good because as a child, all they ever learn is one word, then they learn another word. Then they put the two words together and it doesn't make sense, but, it, but we know what it means. And then they'll figure out the grammar later. And it's actually putting stuff together bit by bit. And in the same way, that's exactly what the brain does. It puts stuff together bit by bit, and then it you know, learns a little bit more, a little bit more. And it carries on that way. So what you say to children, how you behaved with them and how you don't behave with them, all of that is going to be an influence on their brain structures as they develop. That's actually a good time to, to explore that, that specific topic a bit more around, around children. 
when we just prepared for this episode, you mentioned something specific around around your own family life and your own children. Could you speak a bit more about that with with maybe an example or two? Yeah, I'll, I'll use my examples of, of from my children. My eldest daughter, I mean, she hated school, absolutely hated school, and she had no interest. There's lots of factors going on, I think, at school and other things going on in her in her life, and she left uh, around the age of 16 with with nothing you know, with very little qualifications to move forward uh, very quickly. I mean, four years later, she decided to go back to studying. She said, you know, I want to go back to studying. And, and I thought, you know, is, is this the right decision? But she was committed. She wanted to do this now, you know, herself. So it wasn't me sending it to school or the, or the system sending it to She wanted to do this. And you know what? She's now a civil engineer. She's a qualified, she's got a degree. She's actually got a master's in civil engineering. And at 16, you would have looked at her and thought, that's it. You know, she's, she's not going to study anything else. Of course, studying is, isn't the only way to, to be successful, however you want to define it, but just proves the point that don't ever, ever underestimate what somebody can achieve. Because when they put their mind to it, when they are committed and they absolutely want to achieve something, they will. What you have to do as your parent or, your, or, or, or a sibling or you know, your friend or colleague is encourage them and support them. And you'll be surprised what they can do. I'll give you one other example, which was my son, who's the uh, who's now a, an assistant psychologist. He nearly got kicked out of school at 15. I seem to have this thing with my children, but but it was more because he was overconfident. He thought he was going to do really well. And then he did a one of the, what we call a mock exam, a trial exam before the final exam at 16. And he did terribly. And that was a shock to him because he thought he was doing really well and, and he, he didn't do very well at all. So what we did with him was, you know, we, you know, as a parent, we had a few harsh words, but we sat down and said, what you need is a routine. You need a routine to start to study, start to figure out what you, what you need to study. I can help you with what the routine. I can help you with structuring a routine, but you need to figure out the content, the books that you need to study. And you know what? He did that got stuck in at about four months before the exam. And he just about got through the exams. What worked for him was, uh, you know, at, at 16 was he'd get up at eight o'clock in the morning on a Saturday and study for two hours, come down for breakfast and go back and study for two hours more. One o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, he was finished. He was done. Then he did it on a Sunday. Then he spent time in the evening during the week. And then what he did was he used the same structure and method of studying for the next five years. So he did his A. We have A levels here, you know, and then you go mm -hmm. and do your degree. And he did he literally did it for five years, and he finished with a first class honors in psychology. And he said, and he reckons he probably only ever had to study more, no more than four hours a day. That was it, because he went to the gym, went to see his friend, went to he traveled, he did all sorts, he did everything, but only studied for about four hours a day. But it was very focused, mm -hmm. and it was it was a habit, and he did it every single day. Was it something that you think you as parents influenced him to do? Or was it something that, that both your daughter and your son figured out themselves? I think it's two things. One is I encourage them. So the encouragement and what I learned obviously with children and with, with, with people who you lead and, you know, in your teams, it's you encourage them. Once they get encouragement and know that they're being supported, it's then their personal drive that makes the difference. You can encourage lots of people to do lots of different things, but if they don't want it, if they don't want to do it, it's not going to work for them. 
But there are some people who who do things which they don't want to do, but they know that it'll actually help them in the future or later. And, you know, so you go, you go and be good at it, even if you don't like it. You know, but there is a little saying I wrote down years ago, and I said, I'm going to keep it clean because it was a, it was a bit sort of, uh, I said, you know, <laughs> I don't like this stuff, but if I'm going to do it, I might as, be, I might as well be good at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a really difficult thing to do because if you don't like it, how can you be good at it? Well, actually, it's just habits. It's habits, habits and routines. The mm. more you repeat it, the more you do it. I go back to my son. He's not a big reader, you know, but in psychology, he had to read a lot. Mm. Mm-hmm. So he just literally just to say, right, every day I need to sit down for one hour and read. You know, he broke it up into 15 chunks, a 15-minute chunk. So 15 minutes, take a break, 15 minutes. And that was it. And he just read through all, all, his, uh, all his material. And, he, and, he, and he's read loads of books now. And mm-hmm. even today, that's exactly what he does. doesn't like reading, but every day he sits down and he reads. Is this potentially a good example for, I think I've, I've written it down somewhere. So on your website, you state that making changes in life, work and performance isn't as simple as sitting down and sort of setting your goals, create an action plan and committing to doing it. And I picked up on that because I'm certainly guilty of that particular approach. And then I end up you know, with a massive action plan. And I'm very good at thinking through every single step that I need to take to get to goal. But in that sense, it's not particularly a habit. It's more a project that I go through and I may have a project habit. So over the years, I've gotten good at still sticking to that. And I feel that the intent behind these three steps is the right one. And, you know, it's going to get you to the goal. But what I've found often is that succeeding to go through this very often takes an enormous amount of willpower and ends up being pretty exhausting. So I always wonder, is there an easier way that is going to help me get the same results in a less stress-inducing way? Could you maybe talk about your approach on that? Yeah, I'm just going to touch on the, the thing you said about, is there an easier way first? Yes, please. <laughs> there is never an easy way. Okay. Okay. Making changes in our, in our heads, in our brains, the, the neural takes time. And, you know, we're always looking for hacks. So there's a hack for this and a hack for that. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, it may work for a, a day, a week, a month. Then you'll get bored or you'll get tired or it won't be, you can't see the results and then you'll stop. Mm-hmm. Because we look for something, we, you know, we are humans and we, we, we now, we're actually in an age now where we want instant gratification. Mm. We want to do something today and get the results tomorrow. Actually, nowadays, we want to do something today and get the results today. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's where we are. And sadly, that's not the way our brain works. That's not the way life works. But your point about, you know, setting goals, absolutely, you know, set goals. I, I'm not against setting goals, mm-hmm. okay? But a goal is just a direction. Mm-hmm. It's just a direction on, you know, it's like a, a direction on a map. You're, head, you're going to head that way today, you know, northeast, whatever mm-hmm. it is, or south. You know, that's your direction. What's going to get you there is the steps you take every single day. Mm-hmm. And what you have to get good at is not the goal, but you have to get good at taking the steps every single day. Mm-hmm. That's where the focus should be, is on what you're going to do today in the short term. Because if you do the short term, the long term will happen. However, as you head in that northwesterly direction, you things will happen. And I use my podcast as an example. I just started the podcast, you know, just because everybody else was doing it. I thought oh, I'd be interested to see what happens. And I just started doing the podcast. 
you know, every week I did a podcast and, and I added some bits. 18 months later, I'm, it's getting 3,000 downloads a month. I didn't have a plan of saying, I'm going to be, you know, like Joe Rogan, have a million downloads a day. <laughs> I just did. And, and, and what gets those downloads is not the vision in the, in the future. That's just the direction. It's what you do every single day. Even in your projects, when you create a project and your project management skill sets, you have a project, you know what the end goal is, but you know what you have to do every single day. Mm-hmm. And you pick those things off. That's what makes the project successful. Mm-hmm. And if things aren't going your way, you'll adjust. Right. Okay, no, we didn't do this. Now we need to do that. I get people to focus on 13 weeks, 12 to 13 weeks, because that's about how far we can mentally, I think, we can focus. To try and focus six months, nine months, a year down the line is very, very difficult. But it's a direction. And the direction is great. But focus on what you can do today, this week, over the next 12 weeks. That's it. So if you're going to climb Mount Everest, it's like climbing a mountain, you know, climbing Mount Everest or, or, you know, whichever mountain, you know, the direction you're going in, but it's the footsteps you take every single day, which are going to get you there and being good at taking the footsteps and stopping and eating at the right time and keeping warm in the right place. And, you know, and you might have to adjust your direction a little bit because the weather's really bad and you may decide to stop for a little, that's what gets you to the top, not the fact that you want to get to the top. Does that help? Yeah, it does. And and that 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 actually brings me to some of the questions that that I think well, we also discussed I also discussed with with Silica when we prepared for this yesterday. You speak about time here because I have two questions. First one is when does the habit that you start now to to for your direction, when does it physically form in your brain, if that question makes sense? And I'll ask the second question now, and then you can separate them if you want to. I've heard about from 21 to 30 days, that's, that, that's the amount of time that it takes to change a habit. But I have really no idea whether that is something scientifically proved or how that works. And you speak about 12 to 13 weeks, which is about the time that we can concentrate for or the, 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 that we think we can, um, we, we can put into it. Did that make question? Uh, yeah, no, that, that makes a sense. really good question. It's, it's a very popular question as well. You know, how quickly can good. I make changes? Right, the, tw- the 21 and 30 day has some element of truth in it, but it's not the complete truth. What actually happens is when you're setting up neural connections, they're, 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 most of the times neuroscientists and psychologists split habits up into simple, standard, and complex habits. Simple habits are things like, you know, you, you come in and you, you put your key in a particular point and actually, you know, in a particular place in, in the house, but you actually you want to change it and put it somewhere else. That's a very simple habit. Okay, you can change that. Most of the time, we're talking about standard and complex habits. So you want to go for a run every day? Well, actually, it's not a single, ha- a single thing you do. When you want to go for a run every day, what do you do? Well, you have to get up, okay, or you have to come home, get changed, put your running gear on, Decide where you're going to go and run, go and do the run. And either you decide how far it's going to be, how slow it's going to be, why you're doing the run. Is it just for hip fitness or are you going to run a marathon you know, next year? That starts to become a bit more of a complex habit. Then you've got to come back. You've got to you know, rest up. So that becomes a more complex habit. So what the 21 and 30 day that people talk about is really the simple habits, the simple habits. And that's when the neural connections are connected up. 
So you putting your key in that particular spot takes about 21 to 30 days. And the connections are set up. So the, the map is now set up of what do I have to do every day? I come in, I put the key over here now rather than over there. And with the run, the complex ones, the standard and complex habits take between 66 to 90 days. 66 to 90 days. Mm. And that is purely to make the connections. And I, and I really emphasize this because if you stop doing those habits, the simple habits after 30 days, within about five days, you'll lose 50% of those connections. Mm. Literally, within a week, you'll lose those connections. And with the complex habit, the same thing happens. If you stop doing those, those habits after 66, 90 days, the actual drop-off is quite steep. Mm. Within about uh, you know, 10, 15 days, you, you'll lose 50% of all the connections that you put together. I find this fascinating because with your example of going for a run, I've always thought of that as being, you know, one habit. But now I realize, no, no, it's like lots of different steps, which I'm sure explains why I'm finding it so hard to do. And why we lose <laughs> it after five days. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and Zilke, you, you've got an added complicated, well, not complicated, you've got added things to think about. You've got to think about your family. Mm. You know, have the kids uh, looked after? Do I need to do anything? You know, what, you know? You know, when you come back, you know, what's the next step? So there's, you know, there's lots of little things that you put on. So it's, it's a whole bunch of things connected. And it's more of a routine now. Because if you mm -hmm. have habits, 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 connected together become a routine. Mm -hmm. And this is what we try to automate to make it much better. But if you can break those habits down, you'll understand why it becomes very complex. Yes. And if you're trying to go for a run in the morning and you've not had a good night's sleep, that makes it tough. If you're trying yeah. to go for a run in the mm -hmm. afternoon after a busy day that makes it tough. It saps your energy. Yeah. And I'm going to touch on something here because I think it's really, really important. Why we don't do certain things and why certain things don't actually work for us and why our habits fall away very quickly is because the brain is less than 2% of our body mass. Okay, Less than 2% of our body mass. So you're talking, uh, I think in pounds is about three pounds, which is about 1.5, under 1.5 kilos, I think mm -hmm. it is in metric. But it uses 20% of our energy every single day. So this 2%, this less than 2% of our body mass uses 20% of the energy every single day. And connections use energy. So the more connections you have, the more energy it will require. So what the brain has to do is say, well, what are the things that I don't do? Well, I want to get rid of those connections because I don't need to feed them. I don't need to feed them any electrical uh, you know, power because I don't need them. Uh, because it need, what, I mean, what the brain is really designed to do is keep you safe. So it's always looking out for dangers. Mm -hmm. That's what it's very good at, which is why it will always tell you all the nasty things that you have gone through your life and the horrible things to your life, actually, and it won't remember all the great stuff that's happened in your life. But that's the job of the brain, to keep you happy. It's better you stay you know, sat on uh, the couch so you don't go out for a run because you might trip up, you might, you know, uh, sprain your ankle or, or fall over or, you know, pull them up. It doesn't want you to do that. Mm. That's the function of the brain. Would that almost mean that it's better to look after your how you manage your energy than, for instance, time management? Because you can have a really tight and well-perfect lined up schedule. But if you haven't 
yeah, aligned your energy for the specific habit, then you will fall off anyway. With- Absolutely. There's lots of, um, lots of people who talk about, you know, do the toughest things first. So the things that you find the most difficult, the most mm-hmm. challenging, do them first. Because you know what? Hopefully you've had a good night's sleep. You have more energy. You're more likely to actually get the, the tough things done first. And if you break the tough things down into smaller chunks, you know, just do them one chunk at a time. The eat that frog methodology. Eat the frog methodology is is true. Although I did write, a, a, I think I did a podcast about you don't have to eat the frog because <laughs> there are just days, there are some days when you know what, you just need to stop. You have to break down the tasks in the, in the day. And mm-hmm. if you can just to sort of recap is do the things that are difficult first. Because as you go through the day, your energy, and this is all about energy. It's, it's not, you know, people talk about willpower and mental energy. Yes, there's that as well. But over time, during the day, that gets reduced less and less. And th- th- there's even discussions around, you know, making decisions. You know, the more decisions mm-hmm. you make, you're less likely to make decisions in the evening, you know, which, which are going to be more you know, challenging. So there's a whole bunch of science around that as well. So you really do the important things first. I mean, I try to do, you know, my mornings of the day are the things that I need to get done. And then in the afternoon, you know, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have phone calls and conversations and chats with people because that's less stressful for me and takes up less energy. And it's actually quite enjoyable. And I enjoy, you know, so I always record my podcast in the afternoon, and but I do my coaching and other, you know, writing and blogging and all that kind of stuff in the mornings because that's when, you, when, you, when you're more fresh. I find the same method very useful. We actually spoke about this on the last one from a um, an old blog post called uh, "Maker versus Manager" that also speaks to to exactly exactly the same thing. So I would like to speak a bit more about the the whole time thing to to building habits or to to build those connections in, into your brain. I think that's that's interesting. So I think it's safe to say that you at, at some point will fall off the habit whilst you're building it and and take it as a natural step? Do you work with methods to get up back on track again, if that makes sense? So sort of to forecast that, okay, at some point you will fall off the habit or you will have problems creating the connection. What methods do you have to to establish the the connection again or to, to, to keep building it if and when you fall off? I mean, the simple thing is, is if you if you don't do something that you say you're going to do you know, every single day, then one day you don't do it. The best thing to do is the next day, get back on and do it. Because if you miss a day or two days, there's going to be a slight decline, but not a dramatic decline. Mm-hmm. It's usually after day you know, five and day 15 where it really starts to drop off very quickly. So if you ever, you know, if you've got a plan to do something for 12 weeks, something and, you know, and every single day you do it and then you, you don't do it for a day or two days, just get back and keep doing it because the brain will carry on building those, those connections. It will, it will continue doing it as long as you keep doing that particular activity. And the activity isn't, isn't just physical stuff. It's also how you think because even thought, thinking about, you know, particular habits and things you do, visualization can actually help you to keep those habits connected. So the key is, is it, it, the longer you leave it, the more you're going to have to start from the beginning, you know, the, the closer you are from going back to the beginning. But the sooner you get back and do the habits, then it's a lot easier. 
the one thing I did say was, you know, once you've actually done your 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, it doesn't mean the habit's now set. That actually means the habits has probably more or less now connected all the neurons and the neural pathways. If you stop at that point, it will drop again. So you have to keep doing that particular habit over and over and every single day. It's a lot easier to come back up if you haven't done it for three or four days after, you know, 100 days. But it will, you know, the brain will shut it off if you don't use it ever again. It will, you know, it will disconnect. Got about two or three questions here. Fascinating insights. And it just explains a lot at the moment. So, for example, about two years ago, I did this great online course to learn all about Ayurveda and how that affects basically how the, the way that we eat and what we eat and um, at what time we eat affects our energy levels and our sleep and all of that. And so, you know, fascinating stuff, really good stuff. So I changed the complete way that I ate and, um, you know, lost a bunch of weight without even trying to. And it was fantastic. And I had so much energy. And then probably after three or four months of that, actually half a year of that, because that was when I got married. So, you know, it was great. And then immediately after, we went on our honeymoon and I was like, fantastic. I'm on honeymoon now. So anything goes, I can eat whatever I want to. And I never got back to the kind of eating habits that were so good for me. And I did that for six months. So listening to what you're saying, I basically have to start from scratch again to reconnect everything in my brain, right? Yeah, you're nodding. <laughs> That's a shame. <laughs> it probably, you know, some of it will still be there. Mm -hmm. It's like riding a bicycle. If you learn to ride a bicycle as, you, as a child and you, you know, every single day or every weekend you're riding bicycles, you got very good at it. Mm -hmm. And the brain knows what to do about, you know, how to ride a bike. Mm. And if you then don't ride a bike for 10, 15 years, you know what? You can you can jump on a bike and very quickly get back on it because those connections were really strong because you did it for years. When you do something for six months, those connections are still relatively weak. And what you're actually fighting up against, just to use your particular example, what you're what you're up against here is you're up against the 20 odd years of habits you've built up of the way you ate with six months of something new. Stop doing that you know what? The old ones just kicked in. Yes. <laughs> there's, a, there's a saying in English about, you know, falling back on old habits. You know, you go back to old habits. Mm -hmm. That's because those habits never quite go away. Particularly mm -hmm. the ones that you learned as a child and the ones you've actually made quite strong. They get weaker and weaker and weaker. And, and there's a technical thing around this, which uh, it, it's all to do with this thing called, the, the, the belief is this thing called myelin. It's like a fatty tissue, which which connects the neural pathways. And the stronger the habits, the, they believe, the thicker the myelin is. So it's a thicker myelin. Mm. So when you don't do a particular habit, the, the myelin sheath gets thinner because the brain says, I don't need that anymore. I'll, I'll use it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So they will always be there. So old habits don't actually go away, particularly the habits that you've, that you've grown up with. They don't go away. They will mm. always be there, and which is why when you try and do something new and then you stop, what do you do? You fall back onto the old habit. Right. It's like a river, you know, with a with a with a in a valley. You're going along the river and you're saying, you know, actually, do you know what I'm going to do? I want to go that way. I want to cut through this valley, and you start to cut your way through there. And then when you stop, what do you do? You fall back in the river. It pushes you back down there, and that's what happens. This this is constant battle with new habits and old habits. 
you've got to keep doing them over and over and over again. That's a shame, but <laughs> makes sense. But there's something else that you just touched upon that I'd like to dive into a little bit more, and that was uh, visualization. So that's a tool that I tend to use quite a lot, and I find that really helps you know, with, with the enormous amount of things. And visualization and as an extension of that, I guess, vision setting, if, yeah, that's that's term. Something else that I picked up in my research in preparation for our session today is that I think you've somewhere wrote that you get your clients to set a vision and then emotionally connect to that. I find that that is why my visualizations and my vision settings are working so very well, because I do that as well. But with a lot of coaches that I've worked with, they don't really talk about that. And um, there's always a, a lot of talk around, you know, you've got to set a vision, you've got to write this letter to yourself and six months down the line, but they never talk about why it is very likely not very effective unless you make that emotional connection as well. And I was wondering, is there any science behind that? And could you talk about the process a little bit? We humans, no matter how logical we think we are, virtually every single decision we make is based on some level of emotion. You can say, no, no, I, you know, it's a logical decision, mm. but I guarantee you the final decision, the final point of any decision will be, does this feel right? Mm. Does this feel right? Or does it look right? Or it's an emotional decision. We, because we are, we're, we're emotional creatures. And, you know, we have all the, even, you know, Martin looks really sort of, unemotional and, and, you know, forward. But I'll guarantee you inside his body and his mind, and, you know, as I, as I watch the video here, inside his body and mind, there'll be emotions kicking in. You know, he'll say, oh, yeah, this, this sounds interesting. That's, you know, I'm not sure about that. And there'll be logic, but there's emotions going on inside his, his body and his mm -hmm. mind. And we are emotional beings. And why I talk about visualization and connecting to an emotion, okay, You just think about some of the things that you have done in your life. And I will probably, you know, bet that some of the things that you've really achieved, there has been some emotion connected to it. Because whatever it was meant so much to you, either to you or you did it for somebody else. Because we, you know, how often do you, do you see parents do so much for their children? And there are stories about, you know, children who, who are suffering and, you know, they've, they've got cancer or whatever, and there's no, there's no drug. And parents spend so much time and effort trying to find the right thing. Because why? Because there's an emotional attachment. And even in our work environments, you know, I come from a sales background and we always, you know, you used to say, oh, you know, you're in sales, so you give people a target and, you know, they earn money. It's about the money. It's not about the money. It's about what those people want to do with that money buy them a better car or go, go, you take the children on holiday. It, it, it's about emotions. And so connecting to an emotion really helps. There are certain things in life we just do, you know, and there are things in work we just do because it's part of the job. Mm -hmm. And we just get it done and we move on. But that's what we do. We get it done and we move on. But there are other things about careers, about progression, about, you know, more money, more responsibility. That's all emotional. Being a manager, what, what does being a manager really mean? Well, being a manager really means well, now all of a sudden I'm leading a team. Mm -hmm. I'm important. Now, you might think that's not, that's not what's going through your head, but that's exactly what, what you're doing because mm. it's now really important. That's an emotion. 
you may be the best manager and technically, you know, they've looked at everybody and they've ticked everything off to, you know, Martin's the best guy for this job and he's the manager. It's all logical. And somebody will say, yeah, but yeah, I like Martin. And that helps as well. There's a final little emotional thing and Martin will think, well, great. You know what? What does it mean to me? Well, I'm going to be happy with my family. I'm going to tell my, you know, my partner, you know, my parents, my si- they're going to be really pleased. It's emotional. Mm-hmm. But yeah. How emotions drive us. And they really do drive us to do extraordinary things. And that's yeah. why I think it's important to link emotions to a goal that you really want. Where there's no emotion, it's just a logical thing which you can then fall off and you'll forget about it and you move on to something else. Exactly on that topic, I would like to speak about incentives. Because incentives can be a, uh, I think that's something that we use just as you mentioned in, in the business world around money, for instance, as, as one thing. Do you use incentives or inspire people to use incentives when they start to or want to build a new habit? Because I think that is, at least to me, a very common thing to think of to, to try and build a new habit. I do, but the incentive isn't from me. The incentive is from the person I'm coaching. What, what is it yes. you want from this? So if, you, if I take the, uh, uh, the corporate world, let's look at sales. Um, the incentive isn't you're going to get a thousand euros, you know, this month extra. The incentive is what are you going to do with that thousand euros? What will it mean to you? Because that's the incentive, not the thousand euro. Mm-hmm. Now, they may want to put 10,000 euro and put it in my bank. Well, great. That's an incentive because, oh, what, so are you saving up? Yes, you know, I'm trying to get 100,000 euros or whatever. I don't know. That's the incentive. Oh, when you've got 100,000 euros, then what are you going to do with it? Oh, I'm going to buy a house or I'm going to move countries or I'm going to do this. There's something that they, they have the incentive. You've got to figure out from them what the incentive is. And I think when I was managing and I started to realize, actually, I've got to stop telling people. I've got to ask them more. What are you going to do with this? What will this do for you? How will this help you? Will it help you? One of the things I learned with, with a person uh, who I was managing, uh, leading, I, sh- I should say, really, well, because we don't manage people. We, we lead them. I realized his incentive was nothing to do with money. And I was always saying, oh, you can earn this you know, if you do this. And it wasn't. He wanted to go and work in Japan for two years. That was his incentive. He was struggling to do that. And I realized that. When I realized that, I said, well, okay, can I help you get that job? Because I know people. I can ask people. And all of a sudden, he, he changed. The really, really focused person. And we got him a, we got him a, a placement in Japan for a, for a year. But I, I don't think he ever came back because I, I, I lost <laughs> touch with him. Because that's what he wanted. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Now, listening to you talk about asking that very simple question, what is it that you want? I don't think that many leaders are doing that. It is very much about, you know, if you close this deal, then we're going to throw extra money at you. And everyone is thinking that's going to motivate people, but it doesn't really motivate people because I think very often people see, okay, great, we're going to get an extra $2,000. And then they do not make that Im- any emotional connection. They just read, okay, great, another $2,000. And if someone is earning a lot of money as it is, then that $2,000 isn't going to make them do anything more or less. However, if they were to make that emotional connection and know that, I don't know, they can get a gardener, 
to sort out their garden, and that's something that they really want to do, then that is going to incentivize them a lot more. So that's a really easy question that everyone, every leader can easily incorporate and should do. Yeah. I'll certainly do that how, when I get back. <laughs> how, how many times when you meet leaders, do you want to go and talk to that leader? Because if that leader, you know, because you value them really highly and they talk mm-hmm. to you, you feel good. Mm-hmm. That's emotions again. It's trying to meld all this stuff together to make it work for someone. Not to work for you as a manager or as a leader, but to make it work for the other people. Because if you can make it work for them, they'll make stuff work for you and the company. Mm-hmm. And this is where we, we get it all wrong. And, and, and I, you know, I, I, I made the same mistakes for years until I started to understand, actually, it wasn't about me. It's about what the, you know, my team, what the individuals absolutely wanted. And I didn't know because I wasn't having those conversations. Until I started to have the conversations, I started to realize every single one of them wanted something different. Mm-hmm. My job as a leader then became to figure out what I need to do to help them achieve those things. That's when the, the team changes. Do you have any tools or questions that can help people discover what they really want? Because I think many of us maybe are just slaves to our maybe everyday or or old habits that we're not really aware of what is it actually that would drive me towards changing or building a new habit? That's a really, really good question because there are two parts, there are two things in that question which are really important. One is we create habits, whether we like them or not, you know, consciously, you know, unconsciously. And when we get into a habit of working in a, in a place, we get used to it. We may not like it, but it's just a process we go through. And unfortunately, many of us end up in, in that space. And when somebody then asks you the question saying, but what do you really want? People get suspicious. Because we live, you know, the last 15, 20, no, probably 30 years now, you know, we've seen company, a large company. And I was, you know, I was at IBM when they first started to have their redundancies ever in their history. I was there. And it was a shock. But now it's it's commonplace. So everybody's looking after themselves. So when somebody says, what do you really want? You know, it, it puts people on in on the defensive. So the problem is, it's, is there's no tool or technique or questions to ask. It's how often will you ask those questions? You have to make the habit of saying, no, 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 I really want to know what, you know, what do you want in life? You know, I'm I really want to help you and let me prove to you I want to help you. Again, go back to salespeople. You know, sales training doesn't work. This is my belief. Why? Because you take a bunch of salespeople and you, you put them through the same process, the same training for everybody. But actually, you've got five people in your sales team. One person's really good at making phone calls. Another one's really, you know, really good at, uh, you know, relationships. He gets on with them, but he can't seem to close the deal. And, you know, the other person, she's really good at relationships, but she doesn't know how to make those, those initial conversations. Until you find out exactly what those individuals need and then train and coach them every single day, every single week, they're not going to get better. Sticking on a one-day course isn't going to make it because mm-hmm. you're then saying, there's your course, now go back and implement it. And they're, what did they do? They go back to their old habits. That worked. Yeah. The one thing I, I will touch on here, which is uh, we haven't touched on is, how many things should you change at any one time? And that particular example is, is, is good because for one person, you focus on one or two habits at a time. That's all. Don't try to make five, six, 10 different changes. Don't have 10 New Year resolutions because I'll guarantee you none of them will happen. But if you have one 
big thing you want to achieve and you can break it down into weeks and months and you know 12 week chunks and tick things off like a spreadsheet and then you have another small one you know of uh, you know what well, i'm going to go for a walk every day not a run i'll go for a walk every day because that's less you know less fretful Mm-hmm. And you do those two things every single day. You, you have a much better chance of hitting your goals after three, four, five, six months and turning one of those into a habit much quicker than trying to do 10 things. And you have yeah. to allow time for those things to occur. Sadly, you know, we, we have companies who are trying to grow dramatically and big and we're going to double our income this year and every six months and we're going to change really fast. Humans don't change very fast. We've got the same mechanisms that we had 100,000 years ago. We don't change very fast. Our environment changes. We don't. And it takes time. Yes, there's things you can do, little hacks, as you know, as people call them. But you have to keep repeating those hacks as well to make the changes. Mm-hmm. It certainly rings true. And the focus on one to two habits at a time, it's, uh, I've, I've just written that down as a reminder for myself because I'm I'm... You know, I'm great at writing to-do lists and achievement lists of things that I want to be doing. Martin is smiling because we've talked about this at length. And I would say I probably get more done than a lot of other people, but you know, there's an enormous amount of willpower behind that. And it's, you know, it's not necessarily enabling me to enjoy the journey. And also I would say that those things that I do accomplish are one-time accomplishments and not habits because I try I definitely try to do too much at any one time. It makes it harder for me to go back to that and like for example the the example with the eating to then go back and start again rather than having that as a as a habit in my life. So I'll certainly make sure that I'll take that on board. I mean even with the eating, you know, going back, if you go back to do it, you know, just start with one thing. Mm. Don't do the whole thing. Start with one thing. Uh, I mean, I, I I fast most days, 16 hours a day. Mm-hmm. But it just started with me not having breakfast, you know, rather than having breakfast at seven o'clock, then it, you know, it was eight o'clock, then nine o'clock, then 12 o'clock. Then I actually realized, you know what, if I stop eating at eight o'clock every evening, I can probably keep miss breakfast and eat at 12. And it took me, God, a year. And now I can wake up in the morning, not eat, have a glass of water, get to work, do stuff, not eat till 12, one o'clock, and I'm fine. I'm tired by that time, but, <laughs> but but I'm fine. Yeah, you know, cause the body's now got accustomed; it's got used to it. It's, right. it. It worry about not having food at seven o'clock, eight o'clock in the in in the morning, and it's just trying to figure out the habit you have to build are the habits of being able to deal with things that happen every single day. Those are the habits you you want to build. Hmm. So having the ability to get up, having the ability to go to sleep. Actually, you know what? Let me let me just step back because. There are three things, three fundamental things now, I absolutely believe, which make us who we are. And you need to work, and these are the things we need to focus on. First one is sleep. If you don't sleep well, the rest of the day is going to be horrible. And it's going to be tough. Second one is nutrition. Is what you eat and drink, that will have an effect on how well you sleep. And the other one is exercise and movement. And I use movement in the sense that don't sit around all day. Even if you're going to make a cup of coffee in the kitchen, you know what? Take that minute while the kettle's boiling or the coffee's been made to do, I don't know, some squats, you know, up and down or mm-hmm. press-ups or just some movements. Anything. Mm-hmm. Keep moving. 
those things, and if you can get out and do the, the, I mean, you don't have to go out and go for a run. Just go for a walk, a 10-minute walk. Mm-hmm. Take a break and walk. And there's yeah. a great way as well to, to avoid getting depressed and what have you. When you walk, you know, always look up. You know, so if you have the horizon ahead of you with your eyes at the same level as the horizon, just have your eyes just about 10 degrees a little bit higher. There's a, there's a subconscious thing about, you know, looking up which improves your mood. And there's a great guy called uh, Milton Erickson, who was a hypnotherapist and a psychologist. And he would actually get his patients who were depressed to go out and go for a walk. And he said, and, you know, look at the top of the houses and the chimneys. And, you know, next week, come to me and tell me the different styles of chimneys there were. And they would be walking around with their head, you know, looking upwards for an hour. Three or four weeks later, and this was every single day, they would say, you know, I feel better. I don't know why, but I feel better. <laughs> and there's a psychological thing about looking up. You ever watch uh, soccer, football, okay, mm-hmm. uh, or, any, or any sport? What happens when your team is losing? You know, when the goal just been scored against you, what happens? Yeah. Everybody goes, oh, put the head <laughs> yeah. down, the shoulders slump. And that is you thinking, oh, God, it's, you know, it, it just creates the emotions of negativity. And because we're emotional beings, we can actually also create emotional, positive emotional beings by physically saying, you know what, I want to look up. Smiling, even when you don't want to smile, just smiling for no reason actually triggers oxytocin and dopamine to kick into your bloodstream for no reason. You trick your brain into doing this. There's tons of stuff around this. It's, you know, how to, you know, these are the little hacks, but you have to keep repeating every single day. I've gotten on that same note, I've gotten uh, myself into a gratitude habit. So one of the first things that I do every day is uh, I, I set the timer for five minutes and I just think of all the things that uh, that I like, that I'm grateful for. And that definitely um, tricks my brain into having a good day or, you know, the best shot at and, having a good day. And do you write your gratitude statement in a book? I don't, no. It's something that I just... You know, do I don't know under the shower or whenever I've got time. I tell you what, go and get a you know like like these little books, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and every single day write your gratitude statements in that book. Okay. And also, when something good happens in the day, write it in there because what that will give you is a book of goodness, mm. of good stuff. Because your brain will not remember these things. It remembers when you fell down the stairs or your kids woke you up and you're trying to sleep or <laughs> that, that project didn't go, you know, that, that phone call wasn't brilliant. It will remind you of all those things, but it won't remind you when the phone call was brilliant and, and the kids let you sleep and you woke up really refreshed and you're thankful for actually having food on the, you know, uh, you know the fresh pomegranates today, you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Write those down in a book because then you can refer back to this and remind yourself of all the great stuff that you do. And even at work, you know, you met with people and how they smiled and you smiled and it was great to see that. Write these things down and build up a little library of these little books because this is your book to happiness. (laughs) That's a tip I do do say to people. I like that. I like that a lot. I'll get that started. That's a good habit to have. Just write it down. And it doesn't matter whether it's in the morning, in the afternoon, just when you feel like it, just do it. But if you can do it, you know, oh yeah, there is a thing about it. if you can do it at the same time every day, that will make the habits a little bit, you know, get bedded in. Doing things at the same time also helps, particularly when it's things like writing, particular projects or particular things you want to do, doing things at the same time, it, you know, also helps us uh, to, to achieve that a lot quicker. 
There is another thing as well about repetition. Everything's about repetition. But the more often you can repeat something in, uh, so there's time, so you know, there's 60 days, 90 days, but the more often you can repeat it in a day, you're more likely to make those connections connect up a lot quicker as well. So remember, if you were trying to remember a poem or something, if you, you know, did it five, 10 times a day, you know, about four or five days down the line, you'll start to remember it a lot quicker. Whereas if you only did it once a day, it would take you 30 days just to, you know, just to get the, the basics sorted. So the more often you can repeat it in a day, then the length of time, it all sort of connects up a, a lot quicker as well. Yeah, definitely. That, that makes a lot of sense. I was just thinking of a poem now that you mentioned a poem uh, that I I learned, I don't know, I must have been seven or eight years old and I can still recite most of it, I would say, due to, you know, that repetition. I mean, my parents were relentless in getting me to learn that. So <laughs> I still remember. Very true. One other thing I want to talk about, it goes back to your question about visualization, mm. which I didn't answer, was that there was a study done where they had a, a bunch of pianists And, and this is really talking, talking to the power of visualization. A bunch of pianists, and they got one group of pianists to come in and play a new tune. So they actually had physical pianos, and they were playing the piano. And then they got the other bunch of pianists who didn't have a piano. They gave them the music, and they, in their heads, they played the piano. Because they, they knew the key, you know, what keys to press, and, and they played the piano. And they did this for a, for a while, and I think after a few weeks, they, came, they brought them both in, and they gave them pianos to play on. The group who didn't have a piano to play on were nearly as good as the groups that did. Because wow. your brain doesn't actually understand what's reality and what's, what's virtual. It believes you're playing the piano. And I know this is true because I, I do martial arts and, and I remember trying to learn a particular kick. Uh, and I would close my eyes and think how to do I mean, it. Was a, it was a roundhouse, it was a spinning kick. Mm -hmm. And I was learning how to do this. And, and I would close my eyes and think of myself doing the kick and the various days. And it, it actually worked. And I know it works because I only did it on one, you know, with my, uh, let me get this right, with my right leg. And it worked. But when I tried to do it with my left leg, I didn't, it didn't work because I wasn't visualizing it on the other leg. And it wasn't until years later I realized just the, you physically have to do stuff, but then visualizing stuff can help actually strengthen those connections as well. Yeah, you can't do it with every single thing. But there are certain things you can actually do this with, you know, visualizing yourself doing something, which is a habit that you want to do. So you can visualize yourself getting up and going for a walk. Mm. Go for a, you know, visualize, get my clothes on, boom, 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 get the shoes on and go for a walk around the block. And you can visualize the block. And you know what? Get up and do it. And you're more likely to actually help that connection connect up. Why did you choose martial arts? Why did I use, sorry. <laughs> choose martial arts. Martial arts. Why? Because when I was a kid, you know, everybody wanted to be Bruce Lee. And mm -hmm. I wanted to be Bruce Lee. Okay? And it was, just, it was just something, you know, I wanted to do. I didn't know anything about it. and didn't know what style to use. I just went to, I just went to the nearest, uh, you know, club and, and started. And that's the other thing about habits. You know what? Sometimes you just got to start. Mm -hmm. Habits and things you want to do in life, you just got to start. And if anybody, you know, and martial arts is an interesting one uh, because, you know, I could have spent a lot of time figuring out, well, which martial arts should I do? Which is the best one? Actually, that's nonsense. What makes the difference is how good are you? There are people who are great 
in Kung Fu, people who are great in Kaikshinkai, people who are great in Shotokan. Do you do martial arts, Martin? I'm just sort of curious. No, I don't. No, I don't. Okay. I just, I've just picked up that uh, or noticed that it is being more popular over, or becoming more popular over, over the past years. I've just noticed more people going into it. So it's just curious. There's another aspect of martial arts we'll come on to, but you know, I could have picked all these different, you know, there's all these different styles, but actually what makes people really good if I did, uh, I did Shotokan. That was my, you know, that's where I got my black belt and, and, and have you. But if I did Wadaru or if I did Kaikshinka, I would probably be just as good. And I say good because I, I actually, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I was, and I spent a bit of time fighting for the England All-Style Squad. So it was something I really enjoyed. But had I done any other, I'd have probably been just as successful. And, you know, if you take any top athlete in certain sports, they will probably be just as good in, in another sport that uses their physical dimensions that work for them, okay? Now, you can't have a swimmer uh, who, you know, in swimming, you need a, a bigger upper body and shorter legs and bigger shoulders. A swimmer would be very difficult to become a marathon runner, whereas a marathon runner actually needs longer legs, less weight, and a shorter upper body. So those would never work. But a swimmer could, being tall and what have you, could still have been a, a good basketball player. Or they could have been a good uh, hockey player, or you know, other sports you know, that require the upper body. That's it. So you also got to figure out what what are you you know where are your benefits, where, where are you good at, and see if that fits in and how you can actually attain that. So you had another question, Martin. I just yes, I was just wondering for anyone who who listens in and and um, and also for for Silke and myself, do you have a sort of a foundation that you give? people that would like to build a new habit let's say three to five things that are common for building a new habit okay i think we've covered some of them Mm. the first thing is to define exactly what it is you know you're trying to achieve and underneath that you've got to figure out what is the habit that's going to help you do it okay because habits can be useful in lots of different environments and circumstances you know uh, being able to just um, you know go for that long run, whether it's r- raining, snowing, sunny, that's a habit of going out and running because you're now a runner. That's also a habit that says, you know what, you'll stick to something and you'll see it through. Those are the habits you want to build, not the habits, you know, you know, not the habit of necessarily you know being great at spreadsheets, although that's useful, you know, in certain areas, but be able to work out you know the complexities of a spreadsheet no matter what happens and you you know you have the skill sets the abilities and the patience to make that work it's figuring out those habits okay so everybody is different and we're all wired differently and we've got to figure out what what are we good at what are we not so good at and what are the things that we really should avoid doing because it's never going to happen sometimes we try things which are never going to happen because it's just, it isn't you. That takes a lot more work if you really want to make that happen. And it can, I'm not saying it can't, but just sometimes you've got to start with, you know what, let's look at the things that you're good at and build out from there rather than looking at the things that you're not good at and trying to build something here and then get frustrated because it's not working. Start with your strengths and build from there and then slowly add the bits that you need bit, bit, bit by bit. You said about the, you know, the, the two or three things. Just work on one thing at a time. Mm-hmm. One thing at a time. And give it time. 
because it isn't going to happen overnight. So, Ezzy, I want to thank you for taking the time to speak to us today. It has been great to talk to you about building habits and learn about what impacts building them. We certainly learned a lot. And personally, I can't wait to put this into practice. And then I am really looking forward to connect with you again. Thank you.